Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Amen. Now you ready? All right, good. I'm glad you're ready. I'm ready. Listen, so here's the thing that I want you to think about. Think about this for a second. If simply believing stuff was enough to make a difference, how different would our lives be, right? If simply believing was enough to make a difference, how different would our lives be? In other words, you believe stuff. So let's say you believe in health, right, and, and fitness. You believe the science behind health and nutrition. So what if believing the science behind health and nutrition All of a sudden, since you believe it, you had all the benefits that comes with with eating healthy and with exercise and all that without having to do anything. Wouldn't that be awesome? If believing was just enough, I'm all in. I am all in, baby, because I believe in fitness and exercise. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Amen. I believe in it. I believe in eating healthy and not so much junk food. Can I get an amen? If we have addictions, think about that. Be different our lives would be. Nobody would have addictions. Think about that. Because we believe that addictions are bad, right? We believe that addictions can ruin relationships. They can ruin our health. And, and if simply believing that was enough to make a difference, just think how different really our lives would be. Everything would be different. Think about finances. <laughs> no, no, amen. That's okay. That's okay. I put it, it as questionable. I didn't, I wasn't really sure. But if we believe in the principles of finances, right? We believe that we should stay out of debt. We believe that we should spend less than what we earn. <laughs> we, we believe that, right? And so if only believing could make a difference, if only believing was enough, can you imagine how different our lives would be? When it comes to school, preparation, we believe that preparation is the future for our students, right? And we prepare them. And if believing was enough, we believe that preparation is how we move forward. So what if simply believing that preparation was the way forward, but you didn't actually have to prepare, think of how different our lives would be. It'd be so much better, right? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we were able to accomplish all these things by simply believing? But the truth is, most of us believe the right stuff right? When I talk about health and finances and fitness and, and nutrition and, and all those things, we believe the right, we know the right stuff. We know what we need to know to have a more productive life. But the problem with us is not lack of information because we know what we know and we believe what we believe. The problem is, you know, that it doesn't always work that way, you know? I mean, we know that we should be honest, right? 
We know that we should forgive people. We know that we should ask for forgiveness. We know that we should be compassionate. We know that we should be generous. And for the most part, we know what we know, and we believe what we believe. But knowing and believing honestly doesn't really make a difference. Do you have the cricket soundtrack? When I point at you, play the cricket soundtrack. It doesn't make a difference. Otherwise, if believing and knowing it made all the difference, then our lives would be better, very different, right? Our relationships would be better. We would be better off financially. We would be better off in terms of health. We'd be better off in area, every area of our lives, believe it or not. And Jesus knew this. And that's why when Jesus taught, his teachings often underscored the fact that he knew that simply believing was not just enough. So consequently, he didn't always just invite people. Now, now this can run a little bit contrary to some of the things maybe you've heard in church and maybe the way you were raised, but Jesus didn't just go around trying to convince people to just believe something about himself or something that he said. He actually invited them over and over and over and over again to follow right? He would say, follow me. He would say, do, okay? Do these things. You know, you have all the information, but he would say, now do these things. Doing is what makes all the difference. When we believe but don't do, our dreams don't come true, all right? So, uh, I, want, I want us all to say that together because I, I need to get it inside of you. Now, even if you don't apply this, it's something that you can at least pass down to your kids, even if we don't apply it. But let's say this together. If, when we believe but don't do, our dreams don't come true. And that is a fact, Jack. Uh, it just, that's the way it happens. You've probably, and this is just a stab in the dark here, but you've probably never met anyone who failed for a lack of believing the right things. You've probably never met anyone who failed for a lack of knowing the right things. But for the most part, we fail, and the people that fail in life is not because they didn't believe the right stuff or even know the right stuff, but because it's doing or it's not doing that ultimately makes the biggest difference in our lives. But worse than that, if we believe all the right things and we don't do anything with what we believe, then our faith becomes feeble and fragile. Okay? So believing is great. And I'm not telling you you should not believe and you shouldn't know having knowledge and information is great, but it's not enough. It's not enough. So today we are in part two of a series that we started last week. It's faithful. And, and, and we discovered last week that Jesus had an agenda for his first century followers. And, and I believe with all my heart that that agenda has continued to pass all the way to us in the 21st century. And that agenda is that we would be people of big, active, death-defying, in spite of faith. 
that we would believe that we would have real faith, that we would live our actual lives, our relationships, how we manage money, our time, our careers, our academics, our dreams, our goals. We would live those as if we had total confidence in God. That it would be translated for us, the knowledge that we believe and the things that we know, that it would be translated or transferred into action, into activity, into responses and reactions, into sometimes, in some cases, a lack of reactions, amen? A lack of reactions. Some people, you react too much is what I'm saying. You react too much. A lack of reactions to the people and the circumstances around us. So, last time we were together, I brought to, the, to your attention that there were only a couple times, two times actually in the Gospels, the life of Christ, that Jesus was amazed. Uh, and the Greek term for amazed is that he marveled at. He was blown away. He was astonished by. There's two things. And that was a giant, giant, the other thing, faith. Real, active, put into action faith. The other thing that he marveled at was a lack of that faith. Not having that kind of faith. Those are the things that blew him away. And so he explains why, uh, and he gives us this initial invitation. And he says, listen, here's my invitation is that you look at me as I reflect Christ, as I show you what God really looks like, I want you to look at me so that you can see, you can trust God because we are the same, we look the same, we act the same, we respond the same, and when you put your trust and confidence in me, I want you to follow me. I need you to trust me and follow me. It was very relational, it was very active, it was very interactive, and Jesus never altered. He never backed down from this. Even when they were on their way to Jerusalem for the grand finale, the crucifixion, the final moments of Jesus' life, on their way, Jesus stops and looks at somebody and says, follow me. It was his message. It was what he believed. Follow me. Hey, you want, you want to know? I want you to follow me. But over time, let me tell you what's happened, and this is the truth. And and if you, how many of you would say you kind of grew up raised in church or around church? Okay, so the majority of us. So there's this horrible thing that's happened, and and I'm going to say this with kid gloves, so as politely and as nicely as I can, because I was a part of this horrible thing that's happened. But the church has really dumbed that down. Okay, we've dumbed this down. In fact, if you grew up in church, it's possible that a lot of people, and especially if you're more recently uh, uh, a part of church, but a lot of people probably have never even heard the phrase, follow me. That's not a phrase that's often taught or implied, follow me, follow me, Jesus taught. What we were taught probably growing up and what most of us have heard is believe in, believe in, believe in, believe in, but not so much the follow me part. So the church, unconsciously, subconsciously, whatever, we have reduced follow me to simply believe in me. And as you can imagine, and as you've probably experienced, and you can nod your head if you agree, or you can do this, if you just easier, then follow me. But believe in me is a lot easier than follow me. 
right? <laughs> if all we got to do is believe, that's easy. It's easy. It's a lot easier to believe in than follow. Believe in me is a lot safer than follow me, right? Uh, believe in me is far less demanding <laughs> than follow me. And th- just think about some of the applications where Jesus tells them to follow me. He, he tells them, I want you to just lay everything down. I, I want you to physically, literally follow me. Come with me, okay? Far less demanding to just believe. I believe, I believe, I believe, right? Believe in me. But unfortunately, believe in me is an invitation that leaves you exactly where you are. No change required. But Jesus didn't merely invite people to believe things that were true about him so that they could one day go to heaven after they die. Read the Gospels. That's not the case at all. Jesus invited people to live their life or to live a life that actually reflected their confidence and their faith or their trust in God. And we talked about it last time. The reason that Jesus came was he wanted you to know what God was really like. Jesus came to this earth so that you could place your confidence, your full trust in God as God truly is and not as we imagine God to be. Because unfortunately, and this is true all over the world, every generation, a lot of people imagine God to be something that God is not even close to being. They imagine God to be all kinds of things that's not a picture, an an essence of who God actually is. And God knew that, and that's part of the purpose in Jesus coming to this earth. He's he's saying, whoa, 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 you got it all wrong. That's not what my dad is like. That's not what your heavenly father is like. And that's why he tells Tom, listen, I mean, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so This is an invitation for people to live their lives in such a way that it reflects their confidence in God. Because just like probably most of us, God is most honored of faith. Active, death-defying, in spite of faith. That's honoring to God. That's honoring to you, right? Let's say you go to dinner one night, or you're supposed to go to dinner, and you're supposed to be there at 7 o'clock to meet somebody for dinner, or a group of people, and all of a sudden, it's 7 o'clock, and you're not there. And, and somebody who knows you turns to everybody else, and they say, you know what? I know Scott. Trust me. Don't worry about it. He's going to be here. I know Scott. He'll be here. And what they do is they put all of their confidence in the character of who Scott is because they know him and they trust him. So this is, it's, you're honored when there's a gap between what people expect of you and what you actually do. And people go in the middle of that gap and they place their confidence and their trust in your character. They believe in you even when you haven't quite met their expectations. That's honoring. Isn't that honoring when, when you can't quite measure up, but uh, they, they go and step in the gap anyway? You're most honored when there's a gap between what they expect of you and what they experience. Likewise, because your character, and when they do, that's honoring. Likewise, God is most honored by our living, active, in the world, confidence and faith in him. 
Even when, somebody, this is a message for you right now. Even when it seems like God's not paying attention to you. Even when it feels like God's not quite on the same page as you. It's 7 o'clock and God's still not here. God is most honored when you say, I trust you anyway. I don't see you at the moment. I don't feel you at the moment. But I know you. And I put my confidence in you. And Jesus taught this over and over. Not only did he teach it, he modeled this over and over and over. And he forced his first century followers, and we're going to talk about this more next week, he forced them into circumstances that they were so uncomfortable with where they had to trust God in spite of. And a lot of it was in spite of what Jesus was teaching. What Jesus would say, they had to trust God in spite of some of the things that Jesus was saying and doing. Jesus didn't invite people to simply believe things or to simply believe things about him. He invited them to follow him. To essentially, and you could reduce it to this question, to wake up every morning, and I think I brought this up last week, to wake up every morning and ask this question. What would I do if I was confident that God is with me. What would I do? Think about that. What would I do? Not what would I simply think or believe, but what would I actually do today if I was confident that God was with me? How would I respond today if I was confident that God was with me? How would I react today? How would I initiate conversations? What would I avoid? What conversations would I begin? Who would I forgive? Who would I ask forgiveness from if I was confident that God was with me today? If I believe that, and, and God, not, not God as we imagined God to be, whether whatever, wherever you are on that spectrum or scale, but as God truly is. That's why here at the exchange, we're very careful what we sing. I'm very careful what we sing because songs shaped my whole life. There are songs that I sang my whole life that now I'll, the words will come back to my memory and I'm like, what? I don't believe that. That's a terrible representation of God. I saw my daughter one time years ago. She was sitting on this side of the church uh, and she had her hands up and I don't even remember what song it was. And I'm glad, but she was singing and she was begging God. The word, the lyrics were begging God to please come, please come. And I looked at Jenica doing that and I was like, no, 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 baby girl. Mm -mm. No, you don't have to beg God. You are the manifestation of God. You are his dwelling place. You are his house. You don't have to ask him and beg right here. So I X that song off the list. Don't sing that anymore. I don't want our people thinking they got to beg God to show up. I got on a tangent. I'm sorry. I apologize. Be with the starving pygmies down there in the guinea. So in this series, we're going to be asking the question and hopefully answering the question over and over. Over a lifetime, in your lifetime, what does it take 
What does it take to have enduring faith? Faith that will go through anything. Faith that works itself out in the real world. Faith that shows up at work. Faith that shows up at home. Faith that shows up in the midst of trauma. Faith that shows up in the midst of health crisis. Faith that shows up when I'm being challenged. I want to know, I I know what I want to do, and I know what they deserve me to do, but I'm not real sure what I ought to do. That kind of faith that steps in. What if If we were to mix all the ingredients together in a pot to produce enduring faith, faith that lasts in spite of, death-defying type of faith, what would that be? What would it look like? Good news. Glad you asked. Jesus, Jesus, based on the teachings of Jesus and based on the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can come to the conclusion that there are, there are a number of things, but there's five things specifically that come out more and more and more. And they're not really, they're not just... Uh, a list of do's or whatever. It's really more dynamics because sometimes you can't control what happens, right? Sometimes things just happen. But these are five things that if you ever hear somebody tell their faith story or their faith journey, usually these five things are intertwined throughout their faith story because they show up. They're important. Not because someone taught them these things necessarily, but they were just five things that over and throughout the course of their lifetime just helped them grow their faith. So we're going to refer to these things throughout this series as the five faith catalysts. Everybody say five faith catalysts. And God, he uses these to consistently grow and blow up or expand our faith. And the great thing about these is that They intersect with every area of our life. So from childhood, elementary school, intermediate or middle school, high school, college, single life, newlywed, been married for a long time, don't want to be married anymore, uh, uh, health crisis, trauma, uh, old age, even success, overwhelming success in life. These five things show up. And they help grow and mature faith. So for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. So we're going to address the first one today. And the, and the first one really, I think, uh, exemplifies who we are as a church. It's one of the things that we've tried to really do as a church. And that is this, number one, practical teaching. Everybody say practical teaching. Whenever you hear a faith story, and maybe this is a part of your story, But whenever you hear a faith story, oftentimes people describe or tell about a moment in their life when they were taught from the scriptures in such a way that it came to life and they were able to do and to put into practice things that they had already believed. Things that gave them handles, you know, applications. They they always believed in God. They always believed in Jesus But all of a sudden, the scripture came to life in a practical way, and someone taught them how to put it into the real world, into action. And that, a lot of times, begins their faith journey. They didn't know how to take it home. They didn't know how to take it to work. And for for somebody, for the first time, they opened the scriptures up, and all of a sudden, they knew what to do with what they believed. 
something inside of them begin to grow, and it began to grow their faith. And maybe that's your story. Maybe that's part of your story. And the reasons that real-world applications of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus grow our faith is this, and this is powerful. When our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. When our active faith, in other words, you you feel this nudge and something inside of you says, you know what, you need to go make it right with that person. You need to go talk to them. And you go, whoa, I don't want to talk to them. (laughs) I don't feel like talking to them. What if they don't want to talk to me? What if it doesn't go the way I thought? What if they hit me? (laughs) What What if they just cuss me out? What if they just turn their back on me? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But you continue to feel this nudge, and then finally you say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and do that. And you finally give in to the nudge, and you have a conversation. On the, what I'm saying is that on the other side of that conversation, on the other side of it, you feel so glad that you did. And on the other side of it, you begin to see God's faithfulness, right? When you, when you know you're supposed to do something, when you know you're supposed to do, everybody say do, do something, and you finally give in, and you're obedient, and you do it, in that moment, you begin to see God's faithfulness when you do that thing, and when you see God's faithfulness, your faith grows. It gets bigger. It expands when our faithfulness to God intersects with his faithfulness to us. Our faith gets bigger. Your faith is like a muscle. I'm not speaking from experience because I haven't seen those in a long time. But from what I can remember from my past when I had some, uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. For example, A. If you don't use the muscles that you have, you begin to lose those muscles. And faith is a muscle. You have to exercise it. You can't simply just say, I believe, I know, I took notes or whatever. You have to exercise that. You have to put it into play. I'm going to say yes And I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to go out and I'm going to have this tough conversation. Even though I don't know what the outcome will be, I'm going to go because I trust you, God. On the other side of that decision is when you experience the faithfulness of God and your faith gets bigger. Because we experience the faithfulness of God, listen, here's the thing. You're actually experiencing God. I'll say that one more time just so you're clear with what I was saying. When you experience the faithfulness of God, you're actually experiencing God. Listen, God is spirit. God doesn't have a physical body except when when God came down, when the word became flesh in Jesus. But right now, today, God doesn't have a physical body. But the point is, because God is spirit, the best way to experience God is to experience God's faithfulness on the other side of our obedience. 
when we know we should step out, when we know we should do something, when we know we should give, that's when we experience God's faithfulness. And we talked about it last week. When it comes to trust, trust when it comes to relationship, trust is the currency of relationship. To have a relationship with an invisible God Y'all have heard this conversation probably before, right? With people who really struggle with God and whether God exists. So you have a relationship with an invisible God. Listen, it is all about trust. And when you express trust practically, not just in your mind, but when you express trust practically, we experience faithfulness of God. And the essence of a relationship with God is trust. Because obedience demonstrates trust, right? I mean, you can all think of examples of moments probably you were obedient to somebody or someone and you did not want to, but you were, and it, it exemplified trust. And if we never step out in the real world and we never live our faith out loud, listen to this, we deprive God of demonstrating his faithfulness to you. If you never step out, if you never make that move, you're depriving God of his faithfulness to you. Now, again, I said this earlier, this was the theme all throughout Jesus's ministry when he led people, and it, it was certainly the theme in all of his teachings. Jesus was constantly with the 12 apostles, and he was pushing them over and over and over into uncomfortable circumstances, asking them to do things that they could not do, or things that they had never done before, things that they weren't sure was even going to work, all in an effort to get them to trust him so then they could experience God's faithfulness to them, right? Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make sense when we become obedient and we place our faith and our trust fully in God, we begin to experience his faithfulness back to us? But listen, Jesus, his teaching with everybody else always pointed that direction as well. For example, one of his most famous sermons, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? And it's found in, uh, you can find a version in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. They both tell this story. Uh, in fact, if you, if you were to go, Jesus taught from this all the time. If you were to hang out with the apostles, they would probably tell you, I've heard the sermon a billion times. Because everywhere Jesus went, every time he taught, he was always pulling nuggets. And essentially, it all came from this big message, the Sermon on the Mount, right? And, and the Sermon on the Mount was brought in terms of faith in real-world application, so when you read the Sermon on the Mount, and, you, and, and I challenge you to go do that in Matthew or in Luke, uh, it's really, really, really practical. Jesus starts introducing these new things, and so for just today, we're going to call it the upside down, where kingdom ethic. So Jesus comes into the world, and he comes in where people that have all the power and that have all the resources, they leverage their power and their resources for their benefit. And Jesus comes in and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. No. 
Jesus starts teaching them that all the people that have power and resources, they should now leverage their power and their resources for people that didn't have as much power and had fewer resources. What? This was so new. Jesus comes in, he's like, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. This was a completely new key, new concept. Jesus turns it all upside down. And what Jesus is doing is he's teaching them something that blows their mind, and I'm about to blow your mind. He, he's teaching them to put others first. Man, I need the organ. Dun, dun, dun. And the lights to just start flickering, right? Jesus starts teaching them to put others first. This is crazy. It's all new. And so if somebody asks you for a favor, Jesus says, yeah, do more than what they ask. If, if somebody asks you to give them something, Jesus goes, yeah, and give them even more than what they ask. And, and then Jesus started saying things like, you know, uh, forgive people. You know, this was an open-ended generosity, open-ended compassion, open-ended forgiveness. Just And Jesus would say, listen, no matter what anybody's done to you, I want you to forgive your enemies. What? Because they were taught love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That was what they were taught. That's, that came from that, the, the law that they came out from under. They were taught, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. Jesus says, no matter what they do to you, you love them. You love your enemies. And then he started saying things like, don't worry. In a culture where all they did was worry, okay? They were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They were so oppressed. And Jesus would always say, don't worry, don't worry. And they'd probably look at their neighbor and go, that's all we do is worry, you know? Our whole lives are surrounded by worry, and then he would say, and listen, not only that, I want you to, to pray for your enemies. Pray for the people that are against you. And they're like, oh, we, to be honest, we don't even really pray for our friends, right? And now you want us to spend time praying for the people that are trying to hurt us, that are trying to destroy us, that are trying to take us down? This was all new. And then he even started talking about this whole plank thing the plank in the eye theory. <laughs> and he says, listen, if you see a brother or a sister and, and they're struggling, they've got, so you see something that they're going through. They have a speck of sawdust in their eye. Listen, you don't go help them. <laughs> the first thing you do is you take your hiney back home. You look at yourself in the mirror. You examine yourself, and you fix yourself first because when you look in the mirror, you're going to notice that you have a plank in your own eye, and you can't help your brother and sister with the speck in their eye with the plank in your eye, so you deal with yourself first. After you deal with yourself and you get the plank out of your own eye, then don't go about your merry little way. He says, then... You go back to them in love, and you're able to love them through what they're going through and address the speck in their own eye. This was so new to them. This was so new. So you're obligated to help is what he was saying. But the help first starts with the person in the mirror. All of this was so new. This was a whole new idea. He says you can't even be, he makes a statement at one time. You can't even be right with God if you have something against your brother or sisters. What? That's upside down. 
<laughs> right? Because it doesn't matter how my relationship is with any of you. As long as me and God are good, then that's all that matters, right? That's what they believed. Wrong. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus says, it's not this, it's this. It's not vertical. It's very horizontal. That's why he says when you, when you go to the temple, which sometimes took three and four days journey, and you go to the temple to make your sacrifice and worship, and you get to the temple and you're standing in line and there's a line of hundreds and thousands of people in front of you and you got your donkeys and, and whatever and your, your cattle and your kids running around and you're sweating and all that and you're standing in line and you've been in line for a, a day and then all line. Problem with you? <laughs> he says, you get out of line. No, 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 no. The most important thing is to go worship. He says, you get out of line, you leave your offering right there, and you go fix things back home. Somebody say amen. Right? <laughs> Jesus is saying, look, it's always eye to the sky. Everybody's always eye to the sky, eye to the sky. Jesus is going, you've got it wrong. In my kingdom, it's here. It's here. This is so new to them. It was so countercultural. The Sermon on the Mount was really, really blowing their mind, and it was super countercultural. It was so countercultural that it was terribly impractical. It was so impractical, or it was so practical that honestly, that it made it impractical. Okay, it was so practical. It was he was asking them to apply this, and it made it very difficult. This was his way of saying, "I'm inviting you to follow." a different way of living. I'm inviting you into a different kind of kingdom. I'm inviting you into a kingdom that is not at all like this world and like what you think it is. It's opposite. It's actually upside down from this world. I'm inviting you as an individual. I'm inviting you as a community not to just simply believe a different way or to know a new thing, I'm inviting you to do life differently. Do it differently. And this is ultimately what it would mean to follow Jesus. So knowing that, no wonder the church came along and dumbed it down. Right? Because that's work. That's work. Believing is so much easier. So much easier. Uh, doing, it, it actually takes application. And, and the practical teachings, it's difficult. But here's what Jesus promised. Jesus says, if you'll do this, if you'll apply this, there's actually a reward on the other side of that. And those of you who have lived your life and you tried to, to live your life with a practical faith out loud, you've experienced that, that there's a reward that Jesus promises on the other side of that. But some people were like, well, I believe Jesus. I actually showed up to church, and I took notes, and Pastor Jared put those little slides up, and I took pictures so I'd have all the notes. And, and, you know, I believe, but I can't actually do because that kind of puts me at risk. You know, I can't really put myself out there. And Jesus is saying, come on, trust me. Trust your Father. Trust your Heavenly Father. Because ultimately, you will never experience me until you trust me. Man, that sounds like some of our marriages, right? You ever said that, dating or courting somebody or whatever? 
listen, we can't ever experience this relationship until we have total confidence and trust in each other. That's what it's about. And so Jesus, is, Jesus finishes his sermon on the mount, and there's so much in it. And at the end, he concludes with a promise to men and to women and even children who will ultimately take him seriously that if they'll follow him into this new way of actual living, into this new lifestyle, embracing this new kingdom value, here's what he says at the very end of his most famous sermon. He gives this parable. Some of you probably learned this growing up. Some of you probably sang this song in kids' church like I did, and I'm not going to sing it today. But it goes like this. He says, therefore, and again, you got to remember, he just finished all this practical teaching. Very practical. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who sat through this sermon this afternoon or this morning, everyone who's standing there like this, with your jaws on the ground after everything I just said that was opposite of everything that you thought you knew, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and believes them. Nope, that's not what he said. Everyone who hears these words of mine and you wrote them down or took pictures when I put them up on the slideshow here on the side of the mountain. Nope, that's not what he says. Anyone who hears these words of mine and you commit them to memory. Nope. Anyone who hears these words of mine and agrees with them, no, I've got it. This one's a good one for the church. Anyone who hears these words of mine and feels the power of conviction, nope. Listen, unfortunately, that's about as far as most sermons in, in, in America go in a lot of churches, a lot of places. In fact, there's this weird thing in American religion, and it's really all over the world, but it's really, really dominant in America. Uh, we have this thing that when we come to church and the preacher beats us up a little bit, we feel kind of bad about ourselves, and we feel like we've, we've just been put through the ringer. We feel like we've had an encounter with God, right? You ever heard that? Man, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I've heard people say things like that as they're walking out of service. I've been a pastor for many years, and I've heard people walk out of service and go, oh, man, you got me good today, pastor. Woo, man, you just taking shots. Oh, I'm walking out. I feel beat up. But, man, it was a good service. God, I just really had an encounter with God. I'm not going to change anything. I'll be back next week. You can beat me up some more. But man, whoo, you're stomping on my toes. It hurt, but it felt so good. I love it. I feel guiltier. I feel, I, I feel terrible about myself. I don't feel good about myself. And I know that was God. I know that was God. It was powerful. I love it. I had an encounter with God. And, and God's going, no, 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 no. No, that's, that's not the encounter that I'm trying to have with you. The encounter that I'm trying to have with you is that you would put your trust in me and you would take a step of faith. And when you do that, you're going to experience my faithfulness. And that's the encounter I want you to have with me. That's when you're going to know me. That's when I'll make myself known to you. 
Jesus also says, anyone who hears this message of mine and puts them into practice. In other words, anyone who does what I've been teaching you to do. That makes sense, right? All these things I've been teaching you to do, if you'll do them, he says this, they're like a wise man or a wise woman, a wise person. A wise person. A wise person is someone who connects the dots, who understands the relationship between what they do today and what happens tomorrow, who lives today and and has a behavior. Today's behavior actually creates and it shapes tomorrow's reality. A person who understands that doing, not simply believing, is what shapes a life and what ultimately makes the difference. That's why believing is just not enough. Man, it'd be awesome if we could just believe, right? I would be skinny today, and I would have two great knees, right? And everything that I own would be paid for, and I believe it. He says, a person who heard this message and actually puts it into practice and does it, He said, it's like a wise man who built his house. So what is he referencing there? Who built, who established his future. It's like a wise man who established his future. A wise man who went all in. And it says, it's like a person who does what I said, and they're establishing their life, or they're all in, they're building their house. And then he says, on a rock. Now, this is where he kind of loses us because uh, for us today, if you buy a piece of property, you're trying to build a house or inside of a hill or mountain or whatever, and it's a lot of rock, they take dynamite and they'll blow the rock out so that you can dig because what we do is we get rid of the rock so that we can dig a hole and we put rebar and all this stuff and we put foot footings on the sides and we pour concrete, right? But that's not how they did it back then. Back then, when they built a house, they looked for the rock, okay? It it was better for them to build a house on a rock, okay? So they wanted to find rock, hard place. And what they would do is it was oftentimes a lot more expensive. It was more labor-intensive, but it was so rewarding when they did that. Now, the problem is if we just pause there, Jesus, in his audience, he kind of leaves them with this question. It's just kind of hanging in the air, and the question is this. Do you trust me? Will you follow me? Do you trust me? Will you live this out, even if you don't know what the outcome will be? He's not asking, do you believe me? He's not asking, do you believe in me? But do you and will you trust me even before you know what the outcome is? The question is for you and for me every single day. Do I believe? Do we trust? Do we express our trust and our faith in God? And when we do that, it intersects. And I'm going to say this over and over and over today. When we step out and we prove our trust to God in our obedience to do the things he said for us to do, which really, really, really relates to people around us, 
He says, when you do that, when you step out and you take a chance and you make things right with somebody that has a problem with you, even when you don't know how it's going to turn out, I'm telling you, in that moment, your faithfulness, your faith is going to intersect with God's faithfulness. And when that happens, your faith will grow. And we're trying to remember this whole series. We're trying to figure out how to get a faith that will endure through everything. This is it. Then he illustrates the outcome of the future doers, those who do that, who find the rock. And he says the rains came down and and the floods came up. And listen, this is after they built their house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Something that they all understood, because in this region where they're talking about, there were flash floods all the time. It happened often, and these flash floods would come in, and if you didn't have a good foundation, it was a total loss. This was sometimes the difference for them between life and death, surviving with something to show or surviving with nothing, if you even survived at all. But he continues, and he says, but... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in a notebook, no, (laughs) feels guilty about them real bad, real, real bad, no, who nods with the preacher and says, okay, that's good, no, but he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, everybody say practice, practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, now, Listen, uh, if you've tuned out, and if you're watching online this morning and you've tuned out, this is a good point to tune back in because the implications for what Jesus is saying here is staggering for the average church person, okay? In fact, if you're not a church person, you may love this part. He's saying this. He's saying that it is possible for you to attend some kind of gathering, i.e. church, on Sunday morning, and maybe you go to one of those churches that have it on Sunday morning and Sunday night, or you're fortunate enough to include the midweek Wednesday night service, hallelujah. And he says it's possible to hear, and it's possible to believe, and yet somehow live a life that ultimately undermines your faith. It's possible to hear and it's possible to believe and yet let, yet live your life in such a way that your practical life undermines what you've heard and what you believe that will actually set up for a crisis of faith or to say it in a different way. Believing can actually be deceiving. Now, real quick, if you're not a Jesus follower, or maybe you used to be, or whatever. I'm just going to say this real quickly. Maybe we as a church owe you an apology, right? Because one of the reasons maybe you gave up on Christianity or you gave up on the whole church thing was because sometimes you wondered if we actually believe what we said we believe. I mean, I've met people who go, I mean, I believe, I believe, but I'm not even sure you believe, right? 
because our actions don't actually match up. You've, they've heard the rhetoric, and they've heard what we say about God, and they've heard what we say about the, some of the scriptures and truth and stuff like that. They hear what we say about how we're to treat people, how we're to treat total strangers, how we're to treat people that aren't even like us, don't look like us, don't act like us, and don't smell like us. But then they watch how we actually act to those people who we don't know, and they go, and that's the religious system you want me to be a part of? No, thank you. I'm not trying to be that preacher that beats up, you know, makes you feel good. But if you're feeling good, good. If you're feeling bad, I wasn't trying to do that. But right, isn't that the truth? And, and so for that, I think sometimes that we need to apologize because uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not really living out what Jesus asked us to live out. And what he asked us to live out is, listen, People who don't like you, I want you to just love them. Pray for those people that come against you. And if somebody needs something, I want you to give them more than what they need. If they ask you for something, do it. go above and beyond. Give and, and, and be generous. Open-ended generosity. Open-ended forgiveness. Open-ended compassion. And we say that. And we preach that. We teach that. And we go, I believe that. In fact, if I were to say right now, don't you believe that's Jesus' message? Most of us would probably raise our hand and say, yeah, I believe that. But then people see us walk out saying what we believe but not doing what we say we believe. And it's not enough. Sorry, rabbit trail. Whoop. This discrepancy, the, the distance between what we say we believe and what we do leaves you wondering. Why would I be interested in this? But listen, if you're a non-believer, if you're watching this morning, if you're listening, and you've not really been a Christian, I'm just going to challenge you with this. Ignore the church for a moment, and go back and read the Gospels. Read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and, and maybe you're going to get to a point to move past our inability or our unwillingness to put practical application in. And maybe you could just read for yourself and accept an invitation to follow him. But I get it. Because when we don't live out loud what we believe, why in the world would you want to believe in that system? So I'm going to skip on. Here's what James says. James is the older brother or the younger brother of Jesus. And James, he's listened to his older brother talk about this, you know, his whole life. And and he's a little bit more direct, and he writes in his document we call the book of James. He writes this on the same topic. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Because believing can be deceiving. He says, if you think about that, if you think about that, because everything that you know and everything that you need to know, you have perfect theology, but you don't do anything with it. James says you're just deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're somebody that you're not or that you're something that you're not, and, and, and you can't do that. He says don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but he says do what it says. Well, I believe in Jesus, and James, James would say, okay, okay, so come on. Believing doesn't actually do anything. A faith that doesn't do anything isn't actually any good. 
And he says, but listen, I need you to do exactly what it says because you're going to deceive yourself into thinking you're something that you're not, into thinking that you're somewhere you're not, into thinking that you're prepared for something that you're not. Because, again, free exercise. If you don't exercise it, it withers away. And the way we exercise our faith is not by believing in things. We exercise our faith by stepping out and doing things, experiencing God's faithfulness. That's what grows our faith. And then he goes on with one of my favorite illustrations in the New Testament. He gives the mirror illustration. And I'm going to give you my version real quickly. He says, uh, believing everything you're supposed to believe and believing perfectly and not doing like you're supposed to do, is like waking up in the morning, going into your bathroom. I'm talking, you roll out of bed, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you go, wow, I believe I'm a mess. I believe my hair needs a miracle. Right? You just rolled out of bed. I believe my breath could kill a horse. I believe my eyes have more boogers than my nose. I was making stuff up here, people. I believe my face could use an adjustment. <laughs> right? I believe I will not be taking selfies right now to post on my social media. I believe I'm a mess. And then you look at yourself, you reach behind you off the door of the closet, and you grab your bathrobe, put it on, grab your keys, and go to work, right? None of us would do that. None of us would do that. You want to know why? Because when it comes to our appearance, we're not just hearers. We're not just seers. We are not just believers that we believe how bad we look. We are doers, right? We would rather be late for work than to show up the way we just rolled out of bed. One Sunday, we should play a game. Everybody just get out of bed. Come here exactly the way you are when you get out. I mean, don't touch your head. Not you. <laughs> you look exactly the same. <laughs> you, have to have, you have to have some obstacles before we can play that challenge. But if we all just showed up, some of us might be surprised that we're uglier than we look. When we don't apply, when we don't work on some things, it's shocking, right? And this is what he says. He says, you got to do that. And, and the truth is that we, to listen to the teachings of Jesus and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, and to do nothing with it is like showing up somewhere in public, not having given any attention to the things that are important to you in terms of, of your personal appearance, right? We would never do that. But sometimes it becomes easy for us to just retreat. Well, I believe, I believe, I believe. And God's saying, listen, I need you to trust me, not just believe, but I need you to do. I need you to trust me, trust the Heavenly Father, and so that your act of faith will intersect with His faithfulness, and then you know your Father. So, like and then James, like Jesus, Jesus offered a promise, right? He offered a promise that the house is going to stand because it's built on a rock. So James goes in and he offers a promise. Here's what he says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, 
It's not talking about Old Covenant and the perfect law. It's talking about the law of Jesus, the law of Christ. He says that gives freedom. Everybody say freedom. And by the way, if your approach to Christianity does not result in more freedom, you're either doing it wrong or your approach is wrong. No amens there either. That's okay. But he says anyone who looks into the perfect law, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. He says, for those people, they will be blessed in what they do. They will not be blessed in what they believe. They will not be blessed in what they know. They'll be blessed in what they do. This is James' way of saying, if you want to experience God, if you want to experience everything that God has for you, you have to do, you have to put into play. You can't just say, I believe it. I see that there's some things that need to change. I see there's some adjustments that need to be made. I see that there's some hard conversations I need to have with a brother or sister. I see those things, but I can't do anything about it. James is saying, that does you no good. You've got to put this into play. The other character of the story, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, and this is Jesus in one of his, that little portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like those people who come on Sundays and they listen, they listen, they hear, and they say, hey, I believe. I'm a believer. But don't put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built their house on the sand. It was quick. It was easy. It was cheap, right? They, they might have even agreed with everything and believed in me, but the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you know how people who listen, who come to church, or maybe they don't go to church, but they listen about God and they know things about God, uh, and then all of a sudden they, they, their house, their world comes crashing down? You know how they respond? They either blame God or they conclude that there is no God, right? People who only believe, who have a little bit of knowledge, enough knowledge to be dangerous, but when they face crisis and their world comes crashing down, the first thing they do is blame God or conclude that God doesn't even exist. And you know why? Because their faith was fragile. Their faith was frail. Because although they believed, their faith was feeble, frail, and fragile. Even though they believed, they had not exercised that faith muscle when the inevitable storms come. Because I guarantee you, every one of you in this room will say a big amen when I say, storms are going to come. Right? It's inevitable. We're going to face trials and things are going to happen. But I love this part. When Jesus finished his whole message, the Sermon on the Mount, he finishes with this parable the wise builder, and he says, listen, after he said all these great things, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed. They marveled. Why? They had never heard anybody preach and teach this upside-down kingdom ethic before. This was something so new, and they said they were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. When our obedience intersects with God's faithfulness. Lena, would you come, or somebody, 
play for a moment. This is an invitation to grow our faith because, again, our faith is a muscle. It takes work. We have to exercise that. We have to put it into practice and put it into play. That person who builds their house on the sand, every time the rains came and every time the waters rose, the house crashed. It crashed, and this is what Jesus showed us and he told us. He spent so much time teaching these things. But I'm here to say and reiterate what Jesus was trying to say. Your heavenly Father actually wants more for you. He wants better for you. And when the storms of life come and the rains come and they're going to come and when the winds blow and they're going to blow, He wants you to be able to stand up. And you all have probably seen somebody in your life who stood through just the worst storms of life into practice wrong and they made it through. Their faith was intact because they put into practice what they believed. They put their trust in God. They didn't run at the first sign of tragedy. The way that he wants us to prepare is to practice, put into action these words that he's talking about because that will produce inside of us big, bold faith. And sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes listening to the message of Jesus was tough, right? I mean, sometimes even coming into the exchange, I may say things and and you're thinking, man, I'm going to strangle him. doesn't make any sense. And I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, but I'm just going to throw this disclaimer out there real fast. But when you read for yourself the Gospels and the life of Jesus, Jesus would often preach. And when he would preach, it wasn't quiet. It wasn't all reverent all the time. It wasn't all soft. Jesus was in their face. He was telling them, listen, you've got it all backwards. I'm telling you, you got it all backwards. In fact, uh, John writes, he says that there's two different occasions that Jesus wasn't even finished preaching. And they were picking up stones to stone him right? It's one of the reasons I pushed the front row so far back in the stage over here. It's reaction time. And and this is the way it was because sometimes what Jesus taught was really difficult to swallow. Sometimes what he taught was really disturbing. And some of these people had grown up their entire lives and built generation upon generation upon generation of teachings of their ancestors and their grandfathers and great, 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 great grandfathers. And Jesus comes in and says, yeah, I know y'all have heard it said for generations, but I'm telling you, it's not that way. Right? It was difficult. And, And there was so much tension. There was so much grit. There was so much anger at times. One time he was, tr- he was preaching and they actually tried to push him off of a cliff before he even finished his message. So from time to time to follow Jesus or be, to be invited to follow Jesus means that at times there's going to be tension. At times there's going to be some difficult situation where you're going you're gonna to come face to face with somebody who completely opposes you. When you follow Jesus, sometimes there's tension. But your heavenly Father is saying, listen, 
come on, I want you to trust me. Step out and trust me. I want you to step out and do what you know you need to do on the other side. I need you to experience faithfulness. And I love this, and I'm, gonna, I'm closing right here. He said, I, I love what Lane Jones preached a few years ago. Yeah, well, this is a long time ago now. He said this, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. <laughs> right? Probably most of us, if you own your house especially, you have a can of paint in your garage or in your closet or in your attic, right? And uh, that paint just does no good sitting there. It just sits there. Then he says this, the value of the paint is in the application. And Jesus agreed. Application makes the difference. Being faithful in spite of the fact that we live in a world that seems to have abandoned or given up faith. Following Jesus is going to stretch your faith. It's going to exercise your faith. It's going to grow your faith. That's why ultimately following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better at life. Faithful. It's what God wants all of us to have to be is men and women full of faith. Because we know that storms are going to happen. And, and God forbid tragedy strikes your life and strikes your household and strikes your family. Where do you stand? Where have you built your house? Have you built your house on the teachings, the practical teachings of Jesus? Are you open-ended with your compassion, open-ended with your love, open-ended with your generosity, open-ended with your forgiveness? And Jesus says, when you step out and you do those things, you're going to intersect your faith with God's faithfulness. And when you do, your faith it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when the inevitabilities of life strike your household and your family, you face it head on. Because even though he might not have showed up at the moment, you know he's on his way. You know, you can't explain why he's not there yet, but you've put all of your trust in his character who he is. That's what it is to be faithful. Practical teachings. Will you stand with me this morning? I challenge you this week to write, write this down after you leave or whatever or make a note, but I, I dare you, double dog dare you, okay? Um, I, I know when we were younger, that's what you do is you dare dare you know you can't back down from a dare so I hope that's you this morning you can't back down from a dare but I dare you to figure out a way every single day to be a doer not just a hearer not just believe enough and know enough because we found out that that's not always enough doesn't make a difference I'm not going to wake up in the morning and just believe I'm going to lose 15 pounds, right? 
You have to do something. And so find an opportunity this week that you can be a doer. Who can you bless? Who can you forgive? Who? What conversation should you go have? And some of you, when I even mentioned that earlier in the message, you immediately thought of somebody in a conversation that you probably need to have that's been long overdue. <laughs> and God's hand. If you'll just step out, even though you don't know the outcome, on the other side of that conversation, despite the outcome, you're going to experience my faithfulness in a way you've never experienced it before. And in that, your faith is going to get bigger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this teaching. Thank you for preserving these words. Thank you for James's boldness. Thank you for Jesus's clarity. And Father, wherever this lands, God, would you give us wisdom to know what to do with it? And then would you give us the courage to, to know what to do? And Father, many of us, as we're listening, we know exactly what we need to do. We, we're either just afraid or maybe we're worried or maybe we're too prideful or we feel too busy or too greedy. So God, just give us the courage to step out give you the opportunity to meet us on the other side of that decision and to experience your faithfulness. So Father, wherever this lands on our hearts, I just pray you give us wisdom to not think about it, to not just agree with it, but to act on it. To act on it and live our faith out loud in real life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. So accept my challenge. Go have a blessed week. We'll see you guys next week.